keep trying, eventually you're going to get your foot in the door. This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Vancouver native Maisha Moore was always creative, dabbling in everything from sculpture to music. For a time, she had even convinced herself that she would be making music for Disney movies. But that was before she found that her passion lay elsewhere, notably in animation. After graduating from Capilano University's 3D program, she spent a year working outside of the industry before landing a job as a shader and eventually making the transition to her true calling, design. We recently spoke with Maisha about learning on the job, how thinking about the big picture is essential for working in teams, and how important networking is to career advancement. Here's our conversation with Maisha Moore. Did you grow up locally in Vancouver? I did, yes. I was actually um, born and raised in Vancouver. I spent um, a little portion of my childhood in East Vancouver and also Carisdale, and then also um, a larger part of my childhood kind of teenage years out in Ladner, BC. Did you know always that you wanted to be an artist or was there something else that you wanted to do when you quote unquote grew up? As a child, I absolutely adored art. Every single time I could get into art, whether it was paper mache or drawing or painting, I absolutely wanted to do that. And as I got older, I knew that I did want to do something within um, the arts and animation always kind of drew me into it. When did you start pursuing that more seriously as more of something that you could actually maybe do for your career? I would say it was probably around 15 when I started to really consider that this was something that I wanted to do long term and something that I would like to do as my day-to-day job. It wasn't until I turned 20 that that actually came into fruition. But Knowing that from a young age, I was able to kind of pursue that in a, in a slightly different manner. So rather than it being something that was something that I just enjoyed to do, if there were areas that I knew that I could get a little bit more info or I could dig into learning different techniques, I really pursued those. And how did you do that? Was it like, were you taking classes or were you just doing readings online? Um, I was taking classes. So I was doing um, acrylics classes and anything that my high school offered in terms of art. Um, If I was allowed to take that as a class, I was trying to take those classes. So I did uh, oil painting. I did um, a program there called 3D Arts, but it was for sculpture, glasswork, and then um, some other kind of really tactile uh, types of art. Um, So anything that I could uh, get into that would teach me about color or how to use different painting techniques or different drawing techniques and um, also being around different types of art teachers, um, I was really, really into that. I think that's really interesting that you were already sort of trying new things and, and trying to figure out what exactly you wanted to do. And, you know, drawing always seemed to be something that you were interested in. But was there ever a time when you thought, well, maybe I can do one of these things instead? I did briefly consider um, being a executive assistant. And that was when I was maybe 18 or 19. It was right after I'd finished school. Um, and the industry was a little bit slow at that time. But that quickly passed once I bought a Wacom um, and it was my first tablet and I was like, no, I have to keep pursuing this art thing. 
Okay, that's kind of amazing. And you mentioned that, you know, when you kind of hit 20, that's when you made the conscious decision to sort of pursue this career. What did that look like for you? Clearly, it started with this tablet. But, you know, from 18 to 20, what were you kind of doing that, you know, really solidified your decision? Um, I was actually working in a a lumber company. Um, I was a receptionist there. And all that I was doing day to day was answering phones and then also um, creating shipping sheets for lumber that was sent overseas. And it became something that was a little bit monotonous. Um, At any time that I could offer my services for art, um, whether it was maybe making a local logo for a uh, company that had wood products, or if it was something like a small company event, I would try to create the, um, you know, the invite for it. So even with that, I was still trying to find ways to do art. And then having that job, it did allow me to save up the money to get a a Wacom tablet. And when did you make the decision to pursue this and go to school? Oh, that was right out of high school. So I actually, um, I had a summer off and I went to Capilano University and I did the uh, 3D program there. And I graduated. And from there, that's when I first started trying to get into the industry and find a job. The whole thing took about a year. So I was still 18 when I graduated from Capilano University. And that's where I um, kind of ended up taking that secretarial job for a year um, before I was able to actually find my way into the industry uh, firmly. I'm curious about why you decided on CapU. Why did that particular program speak to you? Um, I was into it. Um, It seemed like their program was very, very comprehensive. I was really, really interested in their 2D animation program as well. It was full at that time. So that's why I ended up going into the 3D course. It just really felt like it was the right place for me. I know that we have so many other um, awesome places that you can learn different aspects of the industry within um, the lower mainland. But there was just something about Capilano that I just found really, really intriguing. Um, And it was a place that I really, really wanted to go. And how was your time there? You start to meet your peers and people that will eventually become colleagues. What was that period of time for you? It was really exciting. It was really eye-opening as well. Um, There was so much talent there that it was just unbelievable. So walking into that classroom and getting to meet everyone and then also seeing what everybody else was producing was really, really breathtaking. Being able to see other people's journey through art and also see other people's personality through art. Um, That's something that's so unique about um, going to school and creating your first kind of portfolio for the industry is that it's so much of you that you put out there rather than um, working on different people's IP. What was maybe the, the, the key thing that you learned coming out of Capilano? I would say that um, my strengths really lie in the visual side of things. Um, So the design or the kind of technical aspects of the design, I found while I was there that I'm not so great at animation. (laughs) So I think that was my biggest kind of like, hmm. Um, So I think if I went in to actually be an animator um, traditionally or um, otherwise, that probably wouldn't be the best career path for me, but it, it helped me to kind of open my eyes and really guide me, you know, for my future journey in the industry. Was it scary when you graduated and you didn't go into, you know, your career of choice right off the bat? Absolutely. Yeah. And too, like I know that um, at that time, like a lot of classmates um, were facing the kind of that same issue. And it was hard to keep that hope up that I was going to get into the industry one day. 
So it's just keep trying. Like for anybody that's going through that now, it's just keep trying. Eventually you're going to get your foot in the door and then as well, uh, apply for different jobs as well. That's what I did is um, sometimes I found that I wasn't applying for the exact job that I wanted. And in the end, that's okay. Because once you do get your foot in in the door, you can actually make those different transitions once you're in the industry. You were working at this job at this lumber company. How long were you there before you actually made the switch into, you know, the industry? I was there for about a year. um, And then it was a few months after that, that I was actually able to get my first job at uh, Mainframe. And, you know, you talk a little bit about how you, sometimes you have to apply for a position that might not be your ideal position. When you started at Mainframe, was it doing exactly what you wanted to do? Or was it one of these, I just have to get my foot in the door? It was actually. um, So I was hired as a, a modeling and surfacing artist. At that time, I was still heavily pursuing that. Design was still something that I was pursuing, you know, kind of after hours at home in different ways. But um, at that time, I was really, really into modeling and surfacing. Um, So being able to jump into that in my 20s was super thrilling. And I really, really enjoyed it. What was it about that particular role that really appealed to you? Um, It was being able to translate somebody's design into uh, a sculpture. And I love doing sculpture um, when I was in school, in high school. So being able to do that in a slightly different way on the computer was really, really appealing. And then also being able to take those um, models into color as well and surface them and also shade them was very, very exciting. Um, I was also working on a really fast paced show. And so we were doing a number of models and props and even environments Um, either a day or through the week. Um, So it was a really, really fast learning curve. And I had great teammates around me that were always um, willing to help me out when I had different questions or showing me different techniques. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the fast pace and how you have to sort of learn quickly on the job? Were you using tools and um, skills that you learned while you were in school? Or was some of it also stuff that you were sort of learning on on your own after hours? Um, Some of it definitely was uh, items that I picked up well in school. And then some of it was different techniques or needs of the job that wasn't really taught in school. So every studio has a slightly different pipeline set up. Um, Even every supervisor has a slightly different way in which they'd like to see assets, um, you know, move through the pipe. So being able to learn those different things helped me to be able to kind of hone my technique in different ways. Um, And with that as well, like just with pipelines in general, with them all being slightly different and the way that we utilize them slightly different, it it keeps your mind sharp. It keeps things a little bit fun sometimes, you know, to be like, oh, I got to remember to do this or um, I have to make sure that I do this for this thing to happen or I want to make sure that this other item happens to this particular model to be able to travel easier down the pipe to surfacing. You've also worked at a number of different studios, so you've had the opportunity to, you know, see how different individuals and different studios do the work. I'm curious if you have like a tip for someone that might be on their first job on how to make their life easier when they're learning something new. What would that tip be? What's helped you along the way? Reach out and talk to people. Um, That's like one of the the best things that you can do is just be very, very open. Um, Talk to people and listen to what your teammates and your supervisors have to say. And then as well, if you do have knowledge that you can share with your teammates, reach out and um, share your knowledge as well. Being able to share your knowledge is super, super important. Um, We're all a team in the end. 
And I know it can be very tempting to kind of hang on to what you've learned and not share it with anybody. But in the end, it's creating a really, really good looking show is what we're looking for that we're really proud to put our names on um, and being able to share different techniques and different ways of doing things or different things that we've learned is really important. I think it's really fascinating because, you know, you've worked for, let's say, 10 years doing various jobs throughout the industry. And on the side, you're pursuing your design work. You know, you're saying you do that after hours. What does that look like for you? Is it just doing work for yourself? Are you still doing sort of like odd jobs for people? Actually, I um, ended up making a transition around 2014, um, 2015, pretty solidly into design after years and years of doing um, modeling and surfacing work and, and dabbling in design. But nowadays, all I do is design work um, and a lot of I've done art direction, I've done production design. And um, right now I'm the art supervisor for Young Love. And then on the side, I do a lot of different development um, projects as well and doing artwork for those. These days, I don't actually have too much time for my own art, but I'm hoping that soon I will be able to because I'd love to start drawing my own IP. You have this passion for design and you were doing a day job that wasn't exactly that for a number of years. And I wanted to know how you kind of kept that passion alive and how you kept pushing that part of your career forward, even though it wasn't what you were doing on a day-to-day basis. I found design, that department, so fun. Um, So it was something that I was always trying to be like, oh, maybe I can like talk to the designers like a little bit or you know maybe I can like say hi to the designers when they're like at the coffee machine so it's stuff like that um, and then as I started to move up for different supervising roles being um, a modeling supervisor or modeling character supervisor or a surfacing supervisor having closer contact with art directors and designers I was able to start kind of picking their brain in a way and asking them about different aspects of the job um, and then with certain people as well letting them know that design was something that I would like to pursue one day and that I was very passionate about it. So it's really making people aware of where I'd like to see my career go um, that really helped me be able to make that transition and have, you know, an art director take that chance on me and say, okay, I'll have you come onto my team and you can do some design work. Is it difficult to kind of put yourself out there like that? It definitely is in, in some aspects of it. Um, it can be nerve wracking. And a lot of us as artists were quite introverted. So when I first started on the industry, I was was really, really, really shy. Um, But being able to kind of work my way into different teams um, and being able to meet different people and kind of start those day-to-day connections. By the time that I really wanted to have those talks and say, hey, I'd like to pursue design, um, I had a pretty good working relationship with those people by that time. So it made it a lot easier. But then again, there are going to be situations um, that, you know, people looking to make this jump will face where you don't have those connections yet, or you're in a work from home situations where there's not a chance for you to really make those connections. um, And you will just have to reach out. And I would still recommend to go for it because it's so important to let those around you know what your, your end goal is, what your passion is, and what you'd really like to work towards. You know, on the one hand, the work from home situation has been a real blessing for a lot of people, but it's also made life really difficult because you can't network in the same way that you used to. Yeah, it it has been really, really difficult. Um, I started a new job during um, lockdown and not being able to have the same connections to other supervisors, to 
um, have the same connection to my team. As it, it was a really weird situation. It was a really weird transition to go through. I was able to foster those connections, but they still don't feel as deep as they could in um, you know, the same way that I'd be able to connect to somebody working in office. And I also don't enjoy the fact that people on other teams who I don't normally get to deal with don't get to see me on the floor and they don't get to you know, ask me questions or be able to just get to know who I am. I think it's really, really healthy for teams to see other supervisors and get used to other supervisors and also feel comfortable talking to other supervisors as well, just because it opens up a lot of doors for people to make those connections and also for teams to feel that they've been heard, feel that they're seen, and also feel appreciated in a way as well. I think that's amazing because it really speaks to your earlier comment that you're working as a team to create the best show possible. And that means everybody, not just the supervisors, not just the artists, everyone is on the same team working together. Absolutely. Yeah, it's super important um, to think of design as a service department, I find, that we are um, servicing every other department's needs and that every department is really an extension of design. In the end, as designers, like we create some beautiful artwork and we make some very, very beautiful pictures, but without those other departments, none of it would come to life in the end and we wouldn't be able to see it on screen. So really thinking of us as an entire team um, working on a show together and making that show come to life in the end is really important. That's the first time I've ever heard of like the design group being considered uh, a service department. So it makes perfect sense. Is that a realization that you always had or did that come with years of working in the industry? Um, I think it came from working in um, departments outside of design that were reliant on design. Um, so having that first kind of foray into the industry in that way, there was times where I wanted certain things from design or I wanted design to hear my concerns or I felt that design maybe could shift in a slightly different way and we could end up for the end product um, a lot sooner or a lot more cohesively. So it was kind of taking that thinking and applying that once I got into design. So you've taken the the things that you learned working uh, doing other jobs into your work as a designer. How do you think that that has affected how you work as a lead? I think it's definitely affected it a lot. Um, I think it's um, it's something that I, I really think about. Like when I do certain things, I always want to know what the downstream implication of it is. When I'm working on development projects, not so much. So if I'm doing creating like a new IP or a new character, I do let myself be unrestrained um, and depending on the style of show too. So whether it's 3D or 2D, I'll make certain design choices. But when I'm doing my day-to-day job, um, I really try to keep in mind of how this is going to go down the pipe and how this is going to affect, you know, my, my fellow team members in the end. I just think it's really, really important to be creative, but also be um, cognizant of what what you can end up drawing and what implications it can have. I I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with the ACE program and how that may have affected your career moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of how you even came to know about the program, process of actually getting into the program? Can you tell us a little bit about how that all came to be? 
Absolutely, yes. So I was part of the first iteration um, of the ACE program. Um, it's now called the, um, the ACE Accelerator. At that time, it was called Five in Focus, and it was absolutely amazing. So I ended up being nominated by uh, Tara Camus of uh, Cinecite. Um, and she said, hey, I'd like to, for you to put your name into this. It's a really cool program. It's, you know, having its first year. And it was quite interesting. So I did put my name in. I had the interview for it. And that's how I got it. And I was still a little bit unsure at that time exactly what was going to happen. But it was basically a whirlwind year at that time. The program is longer now of creating a short film with four other artists who are amazingly talented and just being able to, to create this amazing short film and also to having so much help from around the industry. It was absolutely such an amazing experience. And I still think back about it and like, it, it really seems like a dream that it happened. And also to like being able to premiere it at Spark was, was so cool. And it's, it's a really, really, really awesome program. With its new expansion, we had the second group of uh, people come into it. Um, and I was actually able to be the art director mentor at that time. Um, and it was absolutely thrilling being able to um, help a fellow artist along on their journey to becoming an art director as well. And the third iteration is going to be starting soon. And I can't wait to see where it goes this time. The learning experience on it was absolutely tremendous. I did a whole bunch of design work on it. Um, I was the sole designer on it. I did all of the uh, set design, character design. Um, I did all of the backgrounds, all the layout. And then as well, I put my modeling skills to use and I um, did a lot of our layouts through um, some 3D means as well. You don't give yourself enough credit because you make it sound like, you know, I applied and I got it, but the competition was pretty steep. That it was, yes. I was I was quite surprised that I did get it. Um, we have so many talented artists in Vancouver. Yeah, that's why I really, really want this program to continue just because um, I really want uh, more people to have that chance to jump into the role and to really, you know, test this out and, and really open their wings and really show the industry what they have. Was the butterfly effect the first time that you had art directed an entire project from beginning to end? Yes, it was. Yes. Um, and it was very, very exciting. And being with such an amazing group of people around me as well, they were extremely easy to get along with. So being able to gel as a team was a really cool experience. And we still stay in touch. We ended up putting the film into um, a lot of film festivals. We won a number of awards. The film is going to be entered into another festival very soon, um, I'm hoping. And I'm just, I'm so excited about um, the longevity that the experience created for friendships and then also for um, what we created. How did, you know, being a part of the program change or affect your career trajectory? You know, you're already working as an art designer, but what changed by participating in the program? It, um allowed me to make connections at a faster pace than I had any time before that. Um, it really was able to um, expose me to different people within the industry that I'd never been exposed to. And then also um, I was able to make connections with those people so that it really, really changed the way that I was able to interact with people at different studios and also to be able to show them what I could offer their studio. So it, it really did change 
that aspect of my career. And I'm really, really thankful for that, that kind of shift. Um, the other thing that it did for me is made me a lot more confident with being able to talk to people, um, to be able to, you know, communicate my ideas, communicate what I wanted to get out of design and really what the core of certain ideas that I was trying to get across, you know, were, were coming from. And with that, I was able to apply that almost like immediately to my job. And it was something that hasn't really stopped evolving yet. So it's been such a cool experience to be able to do some public speaking and, you know, do podcasts and things like that. If there was one thing that maybe didn't work out when you guys were working on the movie that in the end turned out to be a positive. I would say that with the amount of time and um, energy that we had, we had to keep the script quite streamlined. Um, and I think it was very positive in the end because it made the film so much more poignant to not be able to pad it out with a whole bunch of sets and a whole bunch of characters and a whole bunch of, um, you know, kind of action going on. So being able to keep the film smaller, we were able to get across the message a little bit more clearly, I feel. You've talked a little bit about how networking and putting yourself out there and, you know, making connections is such an important part of the industry and of moving in your career. And you've also mentioned that, you know, you're a very introverted person. How do you put yourself out there? Um, definitely during the week. And when I am interacting with people with my job. Um, I try to be as open as I possibly can be. I like to now with work from home, I always have my camera on, have my mic on when it's appropriate. And I really try to have conversations with people, have conversations outside of work with people wherever possible, and just try to get people talking to me. And I find that that's a great way to, to kind of foster those connections or you know, when I was back in office, if I was walking down the hall and saw somebody that I didn't know, then I would say hi. Or if I saw somebody, um, you know, in the cafeteria that maybe had a cool t-shirt on or was drinking a different type of coffee, um, I would also go and say hi whenever possible. My weekend life, I'm not that confident. <laughs> um, so it's definitely a little bit of um, confidence that I put on while at work. Um, where on the weekend, I do like to kind of take that step back into being introverted and, you know, not even want to go and order a coffee for myself. It's almost like recharging your batteries on the weekend to turn it all on during the week. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. But I kind of find for people like first trying to get their, their footing in this or trying to figure this out is have your cameras on if you feel comfortable, really talk in certain meetings, or just ask people on your team that you might not have met, just like kind of how their day's going or how their weekend's gone. And it can really help you start to make those connections. Um, and making those connections is so important to, you know, future career things. Because when you can make those connections, sometimes that's how you hear about different jobs, or you're able to, you know, offer help to people or people can offer help to you. So taking that step outside your comfort zone and really kind of just like taking the plunge and reaching out is it, it really does pay off in the end. Does your creative process change when you're doing work, like in air brackets, work, work, and when you're doing like, let's say design work for yourself or just doodling around? Absolutely. Yes. 
for sure. Um, when I'm just doodling at, at home, everything's out the window. Um, I don't care if that character can be rigged. I don't care if that character can be, um, you know, go into all lighting scenarios. I don't care if the seam work is too complex. I don't care if the colors, you know, are, are they going to match with that other set? Anything like that. It's just, it's really taking all the rules off and, and being very, very creative in a way that might be a little bit destructive in the actual pipeline. So yes, absolutely. Or making hair that's super, super large and at a point that would make animation scream if they saw it. Like, that's what I like to do outside of work. How do you stay creative while you're working within these restrictions that you've kind of, some of them are put on by yourself and some of them are put on by the pipeline itself? I don't know how to explain it. It's, I still really, really want to see that character come to life. So I really, I want to think about certain things and I'll definitely sketch out some things that I know are not technically allowable um, in the beginning. And then I'll start to make those technical fixes as I start to clean up the drawing. Um, Every once in a while, I will leave in certain technical things that I I'm not sure about, and I'll check in with different departments and ask them, do you think this is okay or not? Or, you know, should I make these certain revisions? Or do you think we can do this based on um, different aspects of, of another asset that I know that we did something similar to? But yeah, every once in a while, I, I don't have all the technical answers. Um, so sometimes I will still draw stuff. It's like, that doesn't work for the pipeline. <laughs> Or sometimes I'll even ask um, the other supervisors and say, hey, can we actually push this a little bit more? Because I, I would like to push this a little bit more if possible. Um, and sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. Um, or sometimes they'll offer up um, a different suggestion that will actually spark something new creatively. When you're drawing, are you doing everything digitally or do you still do anything on paper? How do you get your creative juices flowing? Right now, I am doing everything um, digitally. Every once in a while with different types of development projects is I will just sketch things out on paper first. I don't know why that kind of works for me for development for the initial kind of stages, but I find that when I'm doing regular designs, I want to have lots of reference from the show. And when I'm doing development, I don't want to have any influence of being able to Google anything right away. How do you stay inspired to create all these different characters and situations? What gets your blood going? Ooh, uh, Pinterest. (laughs) Um, I really, really love going on Pinterest and being able to um, see what's going on with just like everything on there. So anything that's um, happening with different art books that have been released and, and, you know, being able to pin those different artists showing off their work, different artists showing off their demo reels on there, screen captures of TV shows. And with Pinterest, it's so cool the way that it kind of leads you down rabbit holes for other aspects of design as well. So you might start off thinking that you're looking for, you know, a specific reference for a character, and then you end up finding a, a pin for a high fashion magazine, and you can kind of like find your way down this really cool path of inspiration that you weren't anticipating, but um, that that particular algorithm, you know, kind of brought about for you. Is it just visual for you or do you also take inspiration from music or art? For sure, music. I do listen to music while I am working. Um, I listen to a ton of different genres. So it's kind of what I'm feeling that day that I'll listen to, you know, or just going for, you know, a 
an outing on the weekend and being able to see what different people are wearing on the street, um, different types of lighting scenarios when I'm out. It all plays into how I think about designs in the end. Do you ever turn it off? No. <laughs> I haven't discovered the off switch yet. Um, and I still find myself as well thinking about even with like modeling and surfacing things in the real world where it's so weird to find myself thinking about, um, you know, seeing the side of a building and thinking, wow, that's a really repeating texture that they used. And then thinking, oh, no, I'm in the real world or, oh, that thing that they've designed there on the side of that building would be really hard to model or it would be really easy to model or vice versa. So yeah, it never really shuts off. Is that exhausting? Um, no, I think it's just the, the way that my brain engages with the world around me. Do you remember a time when your world, you didn't engage with the world in that way? Um, not really. Thinking back to in, in high school, I was drawing a lot of characters. I was trying to figure out how to draw, draw sets at that time. I really didn't have such a great grasp on perspective. So it was me viewing the world about like, how would I draw that? How does that work? How would I, how would I do that? We've talked a lot about giving back and communicating. And one of the things that I think is really fascinating is that you've always been, you've always been somebody that gives back. Mentorship is something that's been a part of your career from very early on. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important to you and why do you think more people should do mentorship? When I first started off in the industry, it was having my team around me that had the experience um, be able to pass along their knowledge to me that allowed me to have the biggest amounts of growth, you know, being a modeling and, and surfacing artist. And without that, I don't think I would have come as far as I did along that career path. I think about the knowledge too, in the way of like, I can't, I can't take it with me. Um, you know, some, some people think about money that way as well, but um you know, if eventually one day down the road, I do leave the industry, you know, if I haven't passed along anything that I've learned to anybody else, it would be kind of a shame. And the other thing is, as well as like, I've had some really, really positive parts of my career. And I've also had some negative parts of my career. So if there's anything that I can do for passing along knowledge that might stop somebody from falling into a certain pitfall, I'd like to pass that along to them. Is there something that didn't go the way that you hoped that has stuck with you that you you kind of wish that somebody maybe had helped you through it or that, you know, you're passing now that knowledge so somebody doesn't experience that same thing? For me, um, what I try to get across a lot right now is, is work-life balance and then also kind of get the most out of you know, you're, you're kind of day to day and I still haven't mastered <laughs> the work-life balance at all. Um, you know, but I, I try to make that really important, you know, for my team right now is, you know, letting them know, like, it's awesome if you guys can do overtime, but if you can't do overtime, don't do overtime. If you need to have time off, you know, take that time off. So I really want to kind of like pass that along right now as something that's, that's super, super important. Cause if I can, stop people from feeling at times that they're kind of getting like burnt out. Um, I, I would love to have people not, you know, kind of feel those feelings or feel the frustration of, um, you know, working a little bit too much or, you know, feeling like they, they can't put the Wacom pin down, that kind of a thing. Is that something that you have to struggle with as well, particularly when you were starting out? Yes. Yeah. There was definitely times when there was things that I was asked to do, 
and I, I just didn't know how to do them and trying to figure those things out, you know, in, in late hours and trying to see how I could make it work or trying to find out that information online. And it, it was really difficult and it was like frustrating. And, you know, then I'd have to wait until the next morning to be able to ask somebody about it again and, you know, try to jump back into it. So yeah, it's just figuring out how to be able to take a step back every once in a while. You know, you can't turn your brain off and you have a hard time separating work from life balance. But this is something that's become even more difficult as we're working from home. And you mentioned a little bit about how you're encouraging your group to take that time for themselves if they need it. How do you schedule that time for yourself? Do you put it in your calendar? Do you consciously walk away? What does that look like for you? Um, It's... At times, it can be me letting people know maybe a week in advance that I plan on taking that whole day for myself or, you know, that I, I can't stay on too late, um, you know, a night that's going to be coming up. Um, so I do try to make it very clear that that is going to be my time. But again, like that's something that I'm still mastering. And it's also um, a crunch time for the particular show that I'm working on. So it's... <sighs> It's definitely something that you you have to balance, but I am in a position where I can help out my team members with that and I can, you know, kind of shield them from that a little bit. And that's really what I'm trying to do right now as well. So I've made it very clear to my team that they are not to be working if they're not being paid overtime. They should be paid for their talent and that they need to communicate when they're working overtime so that we have the proper um, technical support set up for them. And then also, too, so I can, you know, be around and make sure that I'm checking in with them to see if they do need anything. Um, the other aspect of that as well is like letting them know that working overtime or not, they're being judged for their performance during their working hours and not whether they're willing to stay, you know, extra hours that week or not. Is that something that has always been a conscious decision as a leader? Or is that something that you've developed over the years that you've been leading teams? Um, it's definitely something that has developed over the years with the way that, you know, the industry kind of like ebbs and flows and certain projects come and go. There's different needs from the team and different needs for the, the project every single time. So sometimes it, everybody is there and we're all kind of working late together and it doesn't feel expected and also doesn't feel like you're doing a, a lot of overtime because you're everybody's just there doing it together. And then sometimes it can feel like you're really, really kind of walking uphill through mud and, you know, you feel kind of disconnected from the rest of your team. So it's, yeah, it's it, different every single time. I have found that sometimes the way that we send out artwork or the way that we're, you know, sending out our deliverables doesn't always align with the need for that particular type of overtime or the particular style of overtime every single time. So if it is something where I'm having somebody work late and they're going to deliver that night and, you know, they're going to be really tired tomorrow morning and our delivery isn't for like another 24 hours, it doesn't make sense to have that person do that super, super late night and then not send that work right away. And not every situation, it you know, kind of lines up like that, but it's kind of taking like a little bit of a cohesive look at weighing the pros and cons of how somebody stay really, really late, you know, hand something in right away, and then exactly when it's going to be sent out as well, you know, keeping in mind time for review and, and, and internal stuff and having a director 
or a technical person um, sign off on it before it's sent as well. But I think it's it's really good to kind of keep in mind the whole process of it. When is that handoff going to happen? What are the next steps of it? And is it worth having somebody on your team work really, really late to have that happen? That's fascinating because it goes back to your original comment of it's a team effort and you have to look at the big picture. It's it's easy to kind of get lost in the, you know, the day-to-day, but you really have to step back and see how it affects the entire process. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the other a part of that as well is making sure that you're in really good communication with your production team as well. Like whenever I can, I like to be sitting with my coordinator or like, you know, joined at the hip with my coordinator because it, it's so important to have that that working relationship, you know, because sometimes we can discuss things like that that are like fire items, like we have to have this out right now. And then we can kind of discuss it together and see if that is really the case or not. And then there are times as well where, you know, as designers, we're not aware of different conversations that production may have had. And there's different aspects going on with how the schedule is looking or the communication that's been had with the client or, you know, maybe some priority shots that are going out. Um, so having that kind of communication really helps you to be able to see what is necessary for those overtime hours, because sometimes you can have that conversation and you know, it's like, oh, actually, we don't need so-and-so to stay really late tonight. Or it's an aspect of, oh, I didn't know there was something like that coming up. And it should be all of us staying late tonight and maybe like another night this week. And then we can get these things out for this delivery that, you know, we're hoping to have happen. With all of the moving pieces and, and all of the work that you do during the day, you talked a little bit right at the beginning about how you were hoping to have more time to work on your own projects coming up. Have you started working on anything on your own? How do you set aside time to work on your own projects? That I'm still working on. <laughs> um, with this right now is it's um, sketches, ideas, and write-ups in a number of different places. So I do keep, you know, a notebook beside my desk. I do keep a sketchbook beside my desk if I want to jot down ideas. I do also keep um, a bunch of notes on my phone as well. So if I'm out and about or running errands, I can quickly jot down thoughts. I am still figuring out how to start making that time to really get some um, traction going on these different projects that I would like to start working on. I'm recording information absolutely everywhere, jotting my ideas down. And then what I'm planning on doing is once I do get that time is um, implementing basically everything that I've learned um, in the industry to, you know, create that that different type of IP and create those kind of like look Bibles and, you know, be able to hopefully bring something new to the industry in a couple of years. You know, as somebody that has moved very swiftly through the industry and started not directly into the industry right out of graduation, if you had like one tip that you could give somebody that's, you know, maybe in school and, or is about to graduate or has recently graduated, what would be that one thing that you would tell this person? Just be very open. Be open to talking to people. Be open to, you know, just making those connections and that is something that I definitely had to learn. It is something that um, can still be a little bit nerve wracking, but making those human connections is so important in this industry. The other aspect of it as well is this industry is super tiny. So having those connections is really important. And there are so many cool people in this industry as well that you will end up creating lifelong friendships and sometimes even, um, you know, 
having your family through the industry as well, whether that's having a really cool, you know, group of people around you that you're really close to or meeting your partner through the industry and then, you know, having your family in that way as well. So it's just being open to making those connections is really going to change both your working life and probably your personal life as well. And that was our conversation with Maisha Moore. You can still look for Maisha's short film, The Butterfly Effect, playing at select festivals. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.